go. Good to see you in the building. Come on. Man, it's cold outside, but y'all came out anyway, huh? There we go. Shout out to everybody watching online. We understand it's cold outside. Look, I'm excited to be in a new year. I don't know if anybody's anticipating anything, but I'm, I feel very expectant. Even though I don't know everything that God is going to do, I just know he's going to do some amazing things because God is always moving and he's always moving forward. And God has a good plan for you and I. And oftentimes the, the enemy's plot is just to try to distract us. And so sometimes you're getting stuff thrown at you just to distract you from focusing on what God is doing. And sometimes it's difficult to focus on what God is doing because you don't know what he's doing. And so that's why the Bible tells us to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And it also says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to see it through to completion. And so that's why I'm expectant because I know that even though I don't know everything that God is doing, the, the same God who began a good work in me is faithful to see that work through to completion. And, and I know that God's not done with me yet. Do you know that God's not done with you yet? Yes. Do you know that even in the midst of your challenges and your trials and the ways that you're messing up and, and, the, and the areas that you're weak in, that God's not done with you? That's why it's so important for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And, and right now, I know that it's more important than ever. And I guess I can always say that because as time goes on, it's always more important than it ever was because we're that much closer to Christ's return. It's that much more important that we fix our eyes on Jesus. And I don't know if you can sense it, but I can sense like the atmosphere of society shifting. It's like I can feel like the, 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 the culture shifting and the, and the way that I would describe it is it, it actually feels like things around are becoming darker. But can I tell you why that excites me? It's because though I feel the atmosphere outside of the body of Christ shifting, I then can sense even more of the light of the world. I don't know if you've noticed, we've talked about this before. Jesus gave a very simple analogy. He says that you are the light of the world. And I know, you know, sometimes we hear this in church and it sounds very nice that, you know, you know as things get darker, we shine brighter. But no, the truth is that it's real. Like I can, I don't know if you can sense it. I just know I sense it. Like even right now, being in here feels a little bit different and it excites me because I feel a level of urgency that I haven't necessarily felt before. I've always felt like what we're doing is important, but I feel a certain level of urgency and that excites me because I'm not trying to be here playing church. I don't come here to do church. And, and that's become so common in our society. It's become, and especially we're in the South. It's very common here to just do church. Like that's what you do on Sunday and you, you go to church and it's like your thing and you love churchy stuff. That's not me. I don't love churchiness. I love Jesus. And, and the church of Jesus is important to Jesus because, because the church is what Jesus came to establish 
in the earth. And the church is what he's going to preserve throughout eternity. So that matters to me. So I don't come here to do church. I come here to be the church. And, and it's, it, it excites me when I can sense the world around us that we're supposed to be shining in needing us to shine brighter. And so I'm expecting for what God wants to do this year. I'm expecting for what God wants to do in this ministry. I'm excited for what God wants to do in your life. Genuinely. I just, I, I feel like, man, if we could really grasp the potential that is inside of us, we would change the world. We would at least change this city. And I can't help but be excited when, when I feel the atmosphere around feeling darker and then I come in here and it's like a little embassy of heaven where, where the kingdom of God is the greatest focus and the, and the culture of the kingdom is here and we're worshiping the king and God's presence is here. And I get excited because I know what God could potentially do through a group of young people who understand who they are and have a mission in life. And I want us to be great. Anybody want to be great? All right, by a show of hands. Does anybody want to be great? I just want to know. I don't know. I don't know if you do. That's great. I love it. Not everybody wants to be great. I understand that. I don't fully understand that. Like, I don't fully get it. But I do understand that not everybody wants to be great. But I ask that question because I feel like there's something special about one, this city, um, this group of people here in, in, in our church, I feel like we have a high concentration of people who want to be great. And I don't say that just saying that. I say that even in talking to friends who, who pastor in other cities, there's something about Atlanta that I think some of like the culture here is just like, everybody wants to be great. And I think that's a good thing when in the right context. And it's, it's one of my joys to pastor young adults in this city because I know that that was always me. And I know what God can do with that because ultimately God places that inside of you. This desire to be significant, this, dire, this desire to do something powerful, desire to do something purposeful, desire to make an impact and, and to enjoy life, it's put in you by God. And God wants to steer you towards where that actually gets fulfilled. The problem is that the world sells you lies about what to do with that desire, about what to do with that ambition, and tries to get you to aim your whole life at your own purposes, and then it doesn't end up being what you thought it was. And so that's why I'm excited, because I know in a, in a room full of people who want to be great, I have what, what will actually make you great. The truth. The truth will set you free and God's purpose in your life will prevail. And when you walk in step with him, you are going to experience the greatness that he truly desires for you. And so today I want to talk about, I want to kick the year off with a message. And the title is this, Growing in Greatness. Growing in Greatness. And you say, this sounds like self-help, like motivation. This sounds like it might be a TED Talk. This sounds like it could be defined by anybody, anywhere, shared on any platform. Is this even about Jesus? 
I let that tension just sit there for a second. I don't know. You tell me. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says this. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus had an idea of what greatness was and who was great. He says this, among those born of women, which was just a a common cultural thing, saying among all humankind, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I want to ask you this question. If, if somebody asked you like, who the greatest person to ever live was, would you say John the Baptist? Almost none of us. I could do a poll. I could ask each of you individually, and I would say, I would say guess who the greatest person to ever touch this planet was. And none of you guys would say John the Baptist. So isn't it funny that Jesus said that? And we all know that this is like in light of Jesus being greater than John. But Jesus's opinion on humanity had nothing to do with who built the pyramids, who ruled empires, who created the greatest advancements technologically or scientifically or creatively, it wasn't based on that. He said that there had been nobody greater than John the Baptist. I just want to let that sit for a second because I know that this is an obscure figure in most of our minds. So So to say this was the greatest person who has ever lived is a huge statement. And for me... It matters to me who God considers to be great. So I personally, I want to explore this. And he says this, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so that indicates to me that that Jesus, he's speaking to the desire in you and I to be great and is pointing us in the direction of how to get there. You guys following? So tonight I want to focus a little bit on, on John the Baptist and why, why Jesus may have said this. And so keys to, to growing in greatness. Number one is very, very simple. Your greatness is determined by God. Your greatness is determined by God. Jesus was very clear on who he considered was great. I don't know if that moves you at all, but it it moves me because I care about what God has to say about me. Do you care about what God has to say about you? And what is the criteria he's basing things on? Because we would have never guessed it was John the Baptist who was the greatest. And in that time, there's no way they would have guessed that because they had all kinds of social circles and social classes and, and, and ladders in society to climb. And even in the religious world, you had Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law, experts in the word of God. And Jesus says that John the Baptist is the greatest one who has ever lived. And if you look at any of John's background, he was a unique individual. He was, he was the son of a priest, but he didn't live like a traditional priest. He lived in the desert, like in the wilderness. And he wore camel hair 
with a sash around his waist, and he ate bugs. I know when we read the Bible, it says, and he ate locusts and honey. And he ate bugs and honey as his whole diet. And Jesus is saying this is the greatest person who has ever lived. Have you noticed that sometimes God sees things differently than you? I don't know if the weight of that has sat down on you yet, but God sees things differently than you and I do. And what matters to him is often different than what naturally matters to us. And I can tell you that in this society, in this city, in this culture, that everything that's driving you to want to be great is not all based on what God cares about. And what you consider great matters. Who you consider to be great matters. Who you're going to follow, who you're going to pattern your life after, it matters. And to me, I want to be considered great by God. I want my greatness to be determined by God because I spent a good amount of my life trying to determine my own greatness. And I've seen the cycle of uselessness that it places you in. Has anybody ever experienced that? Trying to do things on your own. Amen. Somebody gets it. Trying to pursue greatness on your own. And it's an empty pursuit. But Jesus has a path that leads us to the significance that we desire if we'll actually endeavor to follow it. The unfortunate thing is oftentimes we are so greatly influenced by people's opinions that we never get around to actually considering what matters to God. But people's opinions are fickle. You cannot, you cannot depend on them. <laughs> You cannot depend on people's opinions and what people think of you. It's not that it doesn't matter, but it's not dependable. What people think of you matters, but you can't depend on it because you can't control what anybody thinks of you. But you can pursue what God thinks of you. And that's where I think we start getting a hint of why Jesus called John the greatest person to have ever lived because John took a totally different path than, than anybody would have laid out for him. And John just followed the call of God on his life. It's that simple. John followed the call of God on his life. Do you know the call of God on your life? Are you following the call of God on your life. That's all that really matters. Knowing God and then in your actions, following his calling on your life. He wants you to know him, not just follow a calling. He wants you to know him. But the only way you're going to know your calling is if you know him. Because you're not going to get it from anywhere else. He's not going to send it to you by mail. It's gonna, you're going to have that revealed to you as you get to know him. And then pursuing the calling of God on your life is the only thing that matters. Do you know who created you? God. 
So if God created you and then called you, what matters more than pursuing the calling that the creator of you has placed on your life? We're keeping it simple in 2024. But seriously, though, how are you doing with walking out the calling of God on your life? Because it led John to a wilderness wearing weird clothes, eating bugs, baptizing people before that was a popular thing. It led to him being different, misunderstood. It wasn't the cool thing to do. Nobody was working towards that. You couldn't ask an eight-year-old at that time and they're looking forward to one day living in a wilderness, eating bugs, baptizing people. It wasn't a common career path. It was a calling. And until you and I respond to the calling of God on our lives, our greatness will never truly be determined by him. We will pursue and create and cultivate our own idea of greatness and then attribute it to God. And that's the danger, especially of a churchy culture where it's cool to go to church and then go do your own thing. But that's not how this works. We, we pursue the calling of God, not just attendance of church. Amen. The calling of God. That's what John was pursuing. So how do you know when you're on track? Number two, God's greatness overshadows your own. If your greatness is the primary focus of your life, then things have gotten out of balance. And it's, it's like you're moving with weights on. It's like you're pushing a sled instead of walking freely. I've experienced it. I know that when I just try to do my own thing in spite of what I know I'm supposed to be doing, I meet resistance. Some of you guys are fighting God. Some of you guys are fighting and pushing and experiencing all this resistance because you're not pursuing the calling of God on your life. And it's his kindness that doesn't just let you fly off the ledge and is constantly calling you back to himself. This could be the year that you experience the joy and the fulfillment of walking in the calling of God. This could be the year that you grow in godly greatness more than ever before. Let's look at how John did this. In John chapter 1, verses 22 through 34, we see this. Some, some people come and they're questioning John. They say this, who are you? They asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? Because he had denied being those things. I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you do not know him. 
He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. I want us to to draw a few things from here. One, people are questioning John because he's doing something. So they're trying to get an idea of who he is and what he has going on. And like, we need to give an answer because people are asking about you. And you, do you know why people were asking about John? Because he was doing something. He was doing something. He was making a difference. He was making an impact. He was living out the calling on his life in such a significant way that it was leading to people asking who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. Have you experienced that? Because that's part of God's calling on your life. The way that God gets glorified through your life is not just through occasional shout outs by you. It's by being so close with you, leading you, instructing you, directing you, and and being so important and significant in what you're doing that you understand that the only reason you're doing what you're doing is because of him, and he's the one empowering you to do what you're doing, and so it's natural to point to him when people question you about what you're doing. You following? He wants his relationship with you to be hard not to talk about. For me, if you ask me about just about any area of my life, it's hard to not talk about God because he's involved in every area of my life. So I don't have to like try to find ways to evangelize to people. It's not that difficult when I just talk about my actual life. If you get into a conversation with me about my life, simple stuff, family, marriage, kids, like all of that stuff is totally framed by God's perspective. Why I have the job that I have, totally framed by God's calling on my life. Totally orchestrated by God. So for you, God genuinely wants the same. It's how you got to where you're getting to needs to have a trail of words from God. That you're following the Lord. And when that's taking place and in your daily decisions, you're consulting him and following him, it's naturally going to always lead back to him. So when I say that's how God gets glory out of your life, it's that simple. It's supposed to be organic, that he's just so immersed in your life that you just always point to him. And then that's how he gets glory. It's not shout out to God. Thank you, God. God blessed me with this. God blessed me with this. Evangelism and sharing the good news about God is not all about sharing what he's blessed you with. It's not all about receiving material things and then being able to point to him that this was just God. It's about God just walking with you. David said it this way, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, meaning I lack nothing. I won't need anything. 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores and refreshes my soul. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, that's just an organic relationship where he's able to give God glory for who he is in his life. And that's ultimately what God wants from you. And this is what we see happening with John. John is out here doing just what God called him to do. This wasn't a normal thing to be out here baptizing people for the repentance of sin. He's literally dipping people in the Jordan River and people are coming out in droves because they're experiencing something they've never experienced before. And, it's, and this is happening because God sent him to do it. This is why when he's being questioned, they're like, all right, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? He said, no. They said, okay, are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not Elijah in the flesh. And they're like, all right, well, you, are you the prophet? Like, who are you? He's like, this is who I am. I am who God called me to be. He says, Isaiah the prophet said it. I'm the, one, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. It was a prophecy from Isaiah about the one who would come before the Messiah, that God was going to send a prophet before Jesus came to do exactly what John was doing, playing his role, his position to just proclaim and announce the arrival of the kingdom of God. And this is why I say God's greatness overshadows your own when you're talking about true greatness, because it's not about you. You don't have to clap. You can if you want. I know it's not an easy thing to digest. Pastor Johnson said it last week, and it's still true, that the ultimate plan and picture is not just about you. It's about what God is doing. And your calling is always pointing to what he's doing. Your calling is not just about talent and ability and showcasing. See, this is why we have to analyze what we're inundated with all the time because it's like we're trained to think purpose and calling is about showcase and performance. That's why America's got talent and the X Factor and American Idol and so-and-so's got talent. And I, I mean, there's just a billion, a billion shows where people are just given platforms to showcase their own abilities. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what it does is when we are just inundated with that as a society, that becomes kind of what we think life is supposed to ultimately be. That we're supposed to get to a place where we are center stage and the spotlight is on us and we are able to showcase our ability. And then we watch people do it and then they tell us, this doesn't make me happy. And we say, so what? I'm still a fan and I want to be just like you. <laughs> we don't care. They say, I'm sad. We don't care. <laughs> Is it not true? Everybody's telling you, this didn't make me happy. This didn't ultimately fulfill me. Everybody who gets famous tells you how terrible it is to be famous and we want nothing more than to be famous. But what if there was another way to, to actually be fulfilled? And, and what if Jesus was onto something with his way of life, right? 
And what if you and I could find fulfillment in the simple things that God has called us to do? And what if it wasn't all at the end of this road where all the attention's on us and ultimately all the pressure's on us and we have to upkeep whatever it is that we're showing to the world? What if you and I could just walk in God's calling on our lives and be content in that? And even when people are questioning us, we don't feel the need for them to understand. Because these people didn't understand what John was saying. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the way of the Lord. They're probably like, this guy's crazy. But John knew who he was. And then Jesus affirmed that John knows who he is. And in my eyes, he's the greatest person who's ever lived. Because he's just walking out his calling. And look at what John says. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. Jesus is there in the crowd. Someone is in this crowd, John's saying. As you guys are questioning me, there's actually somebody here, and he's the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. This isn't about me. God's greatness overshadows my own. And can I tell you, for me, I'm just realizing more and more through life that my own importance isn't the greatest pursuit in life. That ultimately, everything that I have, everything that I am comes from God. I couldn't choose really a lot of things in life. I can't choose how God created me or wired me or called me. I can just walk in it. And when that's the case, there's no space for pride because I'm just a walking design and so are you. What's crazy is when you're a walking design not doing what you're designed to do. But you're just a walking design. You didn't even come up with your own design. You didn't come up with how God put you together. He did. And you're called to function in the way that he designed you to function. And so that's what I love about what we're seeing here, because I think there is a key here to greatness in its true form and contentment when we can just be in a space to say, you know what? There's somebody that you don't know that you need to know. Like, I understand you're questioning me. I understand you may be impressed by what I have going on and it, and it may uh, elicit some questions from you, but there's someone who's present in the room right now that some of you guys don't know. There is someone who is present right now and he says that when two or three of us gather in his name, he's here in the midst. There is someone who's ruling over heaven and earth. There's someone who was, who was present in this narrative that we're reading and is present today and is working in my life and is working in your life. There's someone who has called me and anointed me and has led me through life and has led me to this place and is still covering and speaking over and watching over my family. There is someone who's greater than me who I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. And his name is Jesus. And John understood the greatness 
of God enough to not care about whether the spotlight was on him. God's greatness overshadows your own. And I believe that God wants a church like this. I believe that if in the same way that John was called to announce the coming of the Christ, the church isn't called to announce the second coming of the Christ. And so maybe we should look at the pattern of the first person who was called to do it and his heart posture and his perspective. He devoted his life to walking out his calling, to faithfully proclaiming the gospel and to fulfilling his role. But he also understood that there was something coming next that was greater than he could even truly understand. And what was crazy to me is he said, he said this. He said, you don't know him. And is it this verse or maybe it's the next one? Okay, in the next one, verse 29 through 34, it says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. If there's ever a picture of somebody who's just walking in their calling, it's John. He's like, I know this guy's coming. This guy was related to him, and he didn't even really know who he was. I didn't really grasp that until this time I read the story. Like, wait, wait, wait. When John, John is born like six months before Jesus, John's mother is Elizabeth. Jesus' mother is Mary. When, when Mary is pregnant and Elizabeth is present, pregnant, when they come together, the baby in Elizabeth's stomach leaps. John leaps when Jesus is present when they're in the womb. So that's making me think like, oh, they're cousins. Like they grew up together. <laughs> and maybe they did, but maybe he, they didn't because he's saying, I didn't even know him. But God showed me that this is who I've been announcing. He's been around this entire time and I didn't even know him and you guys didn't know him, but this is who we need to be focusing on. And it just makes me think, you and I, we live in a world where most people do not know God. And the ideas of who God is are continuing to grow and expand and I wouldn't even say that most people say they don't know God. Most people feel like they know God. Most people feel like they're good with God, which is even scarier. But most people don't know God. John was talking to people who are questioning him are experts in the word of God, devoted religious people. But he's saying, you guys don't know him. And you don't understand that he's standing in the midst of you and you don't recognize him. And to be truthful, I didn't even recognize him until God just pointed him out to me. And I can't see a clearer form of evangelism than that because you and I are the same way. 
And I could say that about myself for a long time. I just did not know Jesus. Like I, I, I knew about him. But like if I had really, really, truly known him, then I would have responded accordingly. But I didn't really know, really know who he was until he revealed himself to me. And when that happened is when my life changed. And so when I'm having conversations with people, I know that that's what you and I, that's what all of us need. All of us are trying to figure it out in life, but we are all experiencing this reality that there is one who stands among us who you and I don't really know until we know him. And when we come to know him, he's all that really matters. John says he's greater than me because he was before me. Crazy thing is John was born first. So how was Jesus before him? He knew who Jesus was. Saying this is not just an ordinary man. This is not just some ordinary human. This is truly the son of God. And he says, the one who sent me to baptize told me that when I see the spirit descending on this person, that's the Christ, that's the Messiah. John knew the voice of God, but he didn't know everything God had planned. He just knew Yeah, the same God who called me to baptize is now telling me this. He was just walking with God, walking in his calling. And as simple as that is, I can't think of a better commission for you and I for this upcoming year. What if that's the reality you experience consistently this year? God called me to do this. God told me to do this. I mean, you know where you're going to find that primarily? The Bible. (laughs) Reading the word. If you're following Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then you're in relationship with him. You're seeking to obey him, but you cannot obey what you have not heard. And so what would it look like if you and I took up our responsibility as the church to truly be a light in the world, to truly be salt in the earth? This is what Jesus said. Do you know anything that tastes like salt? Can you think of anything that tastes similar? I can't. It sounds like some people were trying to say something. It was just like a... But I didn't hear anything because I don't think there's anything that actually tastes like salt. There's definitely nothing that tastes like salt and performs the functions of salt. Salt is extremely useful. Are you? No, think about this. Salt. Salt. Salt not only seasons, but it preserves, salt hydrates, just those three things. But, you know, they they were saying it was supposed to snow, and you know it would have been put down to melt snow? Salt. The thing is, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And I believe, I believe the primary function that he was referring to was taste and preservation, And he, and he said this, he said, if salt loses its saltiness, then, then what good is it? What can you do with it? 
Imagine salt that doesn't taste like anything and can't do anything. What do you do with it? He said, you don't do anything but step on it. And this is the analogy Jesus used to describe who we're supposed to be and who we're not supposed to be. So we cannot be Christians who don't have any differences, who have no distinctiveness, who are indistinguishable from the world around us, who do not bring and preserve life in the spaces we step into. We are supposed to be useful in society, not critics of society, useful to society, contributors to society. And in this way, God gets glorified. God is not glorified by yelling at society, condemning people. God is glorified when we bring life around us. What would it look like for us to be life-giving in our families more than ever before? Some of you guys are searching for purpose and it's right in front of you. It's just the stuff you don't want to do. It's nice to make a video and it goes viral. Praise God. What about being nice to people? What about loving people? What about being a little bit more gracious this year? Because as we're talking about walking and calling, it's, those are the things God is calling you to do. We went through the entire Sermon on the Mount as a church last year. If you need a refresher, go back. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus tells you the lifestyle of a disciple. That is how you and I become salt. It's how we become light. It's how we become great. And it's all going to focus on God's greatness overshadowing our own. Amen? Amen. All right. Third thing. You find joy in the greater plan of God. So keys to growing in greatness, outlined by John the Baptist. Your greatness is determined by God. God's greatness overshadows your own. And third, you find joy in the greater plan of God. John chapter 3, verses 26 through 30. Some of John's disciples, because he had disciples, they came to him and they said this. said, Rabbi, the one you testified about, and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing. He's doing your thing. And everyone is going to him. John responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom. But the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Look at that mindset. John's ministry was not a long one. John's ministry started like right before Jesus's. Maybe a year. Jesus's ministry was about three years. John's was shorter than that. John had this huge flash of spotlight. And then it was time for him to step back. But he says, now this joy of mine is complete, that he would increase and I have to decrease. What if you could find joy in the plan of God? And if the plan of God wasn't all about you 
always being the focus of everything and on the mountaintop and everything is going amazing at all times in all circumstances. What if you could rejoice in just the plan of God unfolding even when that leads to you having to decrease? What if your role is to set up somebody else to be successful? You know, there are things that I've felt like God has called me to do and to cultivate that I'm like, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. So why'd you tell me to do this? Unless maybe this is for my kids. Maybe this is just supposed to be a seed that I'm able to plant in them and they become great in this area. Legitimate thought. But you and I, we have to find joy in the greater plan of God because God's plan is not 100% about you. It includes you though. And there is joy for you in his plan. But if his plan always has to lead to you being the focus of all the success, it's gonna be hard for you to find joy in it because God spreads it out throughout his kingdom. And God uses us in ways and in seasons. And there are seasons when we're in the forefront And there are seasons that we have to step back. But in those seasons that we're in the forefront, we have to understand, look, there's one who stands among us that really deserves all the attention. And so while this attention is on me, I'm going to point you to Jesus. And when the attention shifts from me and shifts fully to him, I find joy and I rejoice. Or when the attention shifts from me and shifts to the next person he wants to have it, I can find joy. What if that was our mindset? What if that was our heart posture? You'd be very different than the world around you because everybody's competing with one another, but there was no space for competition here. His disciples are trying to get him to compete. They're like, Rabbi, that dude who you co-signed, he's now stealing your whole thing. You're the Baptist, John the Baptist. Why is he baptizing? Why is he sending people to you for you to baptize them? Because you're the Baptist. I don't know if any of you guys have ever experienced thoughts like that, but it's common that when you have any level of success or elevation or prominence or power or influence or leadership, there's a temptation for you to hold on to it tightly. And you know what this often leads to? You not being a great representation of God. Because God, who has all power and all authority and all leadership and and everything under his control, serves, lifts up gives grace. And he calls you and I to do the same. And I just believe that we can make a huge difference in, I don't say the world around us like a cliche thing. I I literally mean I'm picturing you wherever you're going to be tomorrow, making a difference because you're just following the calling of God. That means like you're at work and you're in customer service. 
and a customer curses you out that you're serving. And you have an opportunity to respond, right? That's going to elicit questions. Why did you respond that way? Well, there is one that you don't know who has called me to operate in a certain way. And he's just been too good to me. He's been too faithful to me for me to disobey and walk away from what he's calling me to do and to take any shine away from him. This all needs to come back to him. What if God was getting glory through the, through the mundane things like that? What if all of our ideas of glorifying God didn't always focus on the pinnacle and the mountaintop? And when we get to that level of success, what if it is just the level of success where you were patient today? Where you kept your mouth shut? I can say it again. <laughs> where you kept your mouth shut. Because the Bible says, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It's a different calling. Is anybody ready to live a little different this year? I want to close here. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we could turn some things upside down. It's not going to happen by just like showing up and there being like good worship and a good word. And then we go home, though. That's, that's not what Jesus has in mind when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's not thinking like good songs and a good word and you go home. He's thinking each and every one of us are living on mission. So much so that we're making a difference in the world around us and we're, we're inviting questions. And we live differently in a way that glorifies him and is a light to people. And they want what we have. Not possession-wise, but possession-wise. There's a spirit that dwells in me. There's a spirit that dwells in me. There's a spirit that dwells in you as a believer. The Holy Spirit of God. God has chosen to make his dwelling place in his people. And that's something to rejoice about. That's something to be proud of. It's something to focus your life on. And can I tell you, greatness, true greatness, is going to be attained by you listening to the voice of God and walking in step with the Spirit of God. It's that simple. So if you'll stand to your feet, I just want to close here. I just want to I want us to pray about this. Because I know that a lot of us, we're not finding joy in God's plan right now. Like a lot of us, we know God has a plan. We don't love his plan. We're not necessarily excited about his plan. And we really want our plan. But I know this, that if God can soften your heart, and make you more receptive to what he wants to do internally, 
what takes place externally is going to be an overflow of that. And that's the way that he wants you to live. And you'll be able to move with a level of peace that surpasses understanding, a level of peace that makes you a light alone. How can you have the level of peace and steadiness and, and calmness in the midst of storms that you have is what people will ask. And they say, hey, there's, there's someone that you don't know. There's someone you need to know. Man, how are you so generous? Why are you so generous? There's someone you need to know. Why are you so kind? Why, why are you always smiling? There's someone you need to know. Instead of people asking, why are you so mad all the time? Why'd you cut me off in traffic? It's time for us to be a light. And it's only gonna happen through, through, through God moving in our lives and us responding to his calling. And as that takes place, you're gonna see God's blessing come over your life and his glory come over your life. I believe that you're gonna see God's blessing come over your ideas. I believe you'll see God's blessing come over your work, the work of your hands. God's blessing come over your businesses. God's blessing come over your ministries. God's blessing will rest on you when you're doing simply what he's called you to do and you're walking in step with him. God wants to bless you. It's not something that he's holding from, like God created you, he loves you. He's just not gonna let you go through this whole life without him. And so as we start 2024, I want, us to, I want us to pray. I first want to pray for those of us who, who have been distanced from God. And the reason that I always do this prayer first is because I don't want to pray like the prayer for all of us who know God while somebody's wanting to know God. I want you to be able to step into that prayer. And so that's why we want to do this prayer first. So if that's you, if you're, if you're in here and you know, look, maybe you came to church early January because you haven't been in church in a while and you're like, I know this is where I need to be. And, and not just I know this is where I need to be. This is who I need to be connected with. And, and God has been drawing on your life. And maybe you came for another reason. Maybe you're watching online. But regardless of why you came, if you know that God has been stirring something in you and you're wanting to respond to him, and start living your life with him and for him. If you're ready to leave the old way behind, if you're ready to leave you having full control of your life and you doing your own thing and, and all the things that that leads to, if you're ready to leave that behind, to follow Jesus and to walk out the calling on your life and you want to make the first step in giving your life to him, receiving his forgiveness of your sins, I want you to just lift your hand so that I could pray with you. And there is no shame in it because my hand's lifted because this started there with a hand up. I see you. I see you. This is a big deal. This is a very big deal. I'm just giving some time if anybody else wants to make a decision. And, and, I, and I want you to know, I see you. I want you to know, we're not here to play. 
this is for real. Like this hand, this means I'm done. And I'm committed. This means, this means if God calls it sin, I don't want it. This means if God calls it righteous, I want it. This means if God's going to talk to me, I want to hear him. If God's going to lead me, I want to follow him. And so if that's you, if you got your hand up right now, I want, I want this to be a holy, sacred moment for you in your life. Everything is changing right now. The direction of your life has now turned. I want you, Jesus said this. He said, nobody would go to, go to war without first counting the cost. And I want you to think about that. Your life is about to change. Are you ready? This means old ways, they gotta go. But what you will gain is the person of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more beautiful than the peace of God. There is nothing worth pursuing more than the presence of God, the person of God. The reason that I'm here, that I do what I do, the reason that I walk with Jesus is because he's worth it. And there's nothing I find more valuable in life than being in relationship with him and hearing his voice and letting him direct me and instruct me and change me and transform me. And that's what you're stepping into. Not just coming back next week, not just praying a prayer. You're stepping into relationship with God. And he says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so what happens is you profess your faith in Christ and you say, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from my life. I'm turning fully to Jesus. And then in that moment, heaven rejoices. The forgiveness of God is, is written over your life. Your name is written in the book of life in heaven by angels. Forgiveness is now your portion. Your sins are wiped clean. You become righteous before the King of Kings and the God of all creation. And the righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is then imputed to you and stamped over you. And what was once called sin is now called righteousness. Who was once a stranger is now a son and a daughter and a part of the family of God and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven with access to everything that the king has to offer. And so if that's you, if you're saying that's me today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. And I hear you calling me. I believe that you came to earth, that you put on flesh, that you lived a sinless life and you died to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead, that you're alive right now and that you have the power to forgive me. And so I receive your forgiveness Wash me clean, make me new. Thank you that I'm now part of your family. I repent and I turn away from my old life and I will never turn back. I turn completely to you and to your family. Have your way in my life. Give me purpose, give me vision, give me clarity, give me your spirit. 
In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Man. Now I want to pray over each and every one of us. If, if, if this stirred something in you tonight and you're feeling like God is speaking to you and God is calling you to his type of greatness and his level of greatness, I just want you to lift your hands in the air if that's you. And I just want to pray. Lord, you see every hand lifted. Lord, you see every person who's wanting to respond. This is very, very simple. Lord, we want to be who you are calling us to be. So Holy Spirit, I just invite you right now to have your way. Lord, I pray that you would descend on your people in the same way that you descended on Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would anoint us, God, to do exploits, God, to do great things for the kingdom of God, Lord, and that we would not do them apart from you, Lord, but alongside you, with you, God, in step with you, Lord, in intimate closeness and connection with you. Lord, I pray that each and every person with their hand up, Lord, that they will open your word and hear your voice, Lord, that you will give them wisdom and understanding and revelation like they've never had before. God, I pray that they will experience your presence in a stronger way than they ever have before, God. Lord, I pray that they will experience a resistance to sin that they have never experienced before. And God, I pray that you would change their taste buds, God. Lord, change their desires. Lord, it said, you said that it is your spirit that is at work in us, giving us the desire to obey you and the power to do what pleases you. So God, I declare that over these people right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would live lives of righteousness that glorify you. God, I pray for each and every person in here with an idea that has come from you. Lord, I pray that you would cultivate it, God, and that they would water it, that they would grow it, Lord, and that they would not pursue an idea over you. Lord, that their idea would not become an idol, Lord, but that their idea would be submitted to you, God, and would come under the lordship of Jesus, Lord, and would advance the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be kingdom-minded and that we would change this city for the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that the earth would experience the impact of the life change taking place right now. God, I pray that your spirit would come upon people in a fresh way like never before, Lord, and that 2024 would truly be like nothing we've ever seen. Lord, I pray that you would fill this place with hungry people, God, people who are in need of you, God, and who will receive you. God, I pray that you fill our hearts with love for people and the desire to see people come to know you. And Lord, and I pray that you bless every effort, every endeavor that we take to bring people to you. Lord, I pray that we would see fruit in our lives, God, that things that we've been working on that have seemed dead, Lord, that we will experience life in this season, God because we're putting our hands to the right things. Lord, I pray that you would show people right now what they need to leave alone, stop working on, Lord, and what they need to put their hands to, what they need to focus on, what they need to build, what they need to cultivate, who they need to build with, who they need to leave alone. Lord, we're leaving it all on the field this year. God, I pray that we would be fully committed and devoted to you and that you would get the full glory from our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.